0: All right, now we're recording, and three,
1: two... Not ready. What? Uh-huh. The whole thing came as a surprise. The whole we're doing the
0: podcast thing
1: at the time right. that we do it. Total surprise. For, for every,
0: every Tuesday.
1: Yeah. You probably have noticed over time, since we do use Zoom to see each other, I don't know, something Adam thought was important, but you've probably noticed yeah. in the last uh, you know, couple of years that there's a section of my left eyebrow... It just shoots up. I don't know, like Brezhnev or something. It just goes up. Yeah, I was about to say. And then the rest of it just sort of fell away. So there's no like narrow end to it. The reason for that is just so many things come as a surprise to me. Oh. Like that we were taping this show at the time that we've taped it for three years.
0: Uh, I can only imagine what Wendell's eyebrows look like right now. Oh my gosh. Blew us all away. Totally. The dogs were like, what are you doing? Meanwhile, as we just learned, little peek behind the curtain. I know we don't do a cold open, but. Uh, no, we don't do a cold open! Tony, you need a hull hat. Why? Get your microphone working. Oh, for Christ's sakes!
1: Oh, my God. Get your shit together, Karen! <laughs> One of my favorite quotes from Bridesmaids. My all time favorite movie. Is it really? Uh, my favorite comedy movie, yes, Bridesmaid. Funniest movie ever made i mean i need to see
0: it again to back you up on that but oh i just remember my laughing just... my ass off when i saw it
1: yeah there's laugh after laugh at, they layer up like you're not it's sort of like okay you know what it's like trump crimes it's like trump's crimes you know like legal crimes and sort of you know moral crimes um yeah they layer. it's so much that you can't you think to yourself oh i'm gonna remember that so i can re- repeat it to friends and we can let and then And then you forget because the next one comes in, the next one, and the next one, and
0: it's, you know. Oh, I got to see that again. Hey, let's clap again so that we can have Tony involved in this. Sorry, I'm so sorry. Three, two, (laughs) one. Okay. Okay, now we're all here. And when I say we're all here, I mean there's only three of us. And we we can talk about that in a minute, but we're all falling apart. I mean, (laughs) peek behind the curtain. I know we don't do that, but... um, No, we don't. Tony Anita Hull has a temporary bridge in that is painful and is making her sound kind of wacky it makes
2: yeah. me sound weird like I have to like yeah. I can't open my mouth all the way to talk
1: yeah and I'm just plain depressed uh, <laughs> and I'm considering jumping off Tony Anita Hill's bridge
0: <laughs> wow I
1: don't, yeah. Tony
2: just, bridge. yeah Tony Anita
0: Hall's bridge
1: yeah to Tony Anita Hall's bridge did I say Hull. Hill Tony said
0: Anita Hill, Hill?
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: oh I mean it's, I it's a Hall. common mistake because we I
2: mean, should Hall. get Anita
0: Hill on this podcast yeah. oh gosh it's a common yeah. mistake
1: do you know my, the okay, this is not a cold open, but did you know my driver's license had my last name spelled wrong? Literally for years, it was pound tone, I think. Oh, oh, oh Wendell says it was poonstone. There was no D. Um, no. But it literally, like I would go renew my license, have a new picture, and they would still have the incorrect spelling. I never noticed and neither did anybody at TSA or anywhere I was checking in. Finally, it was at the airport where somebody noticed it. And I went, oh, my heavens. Um, wow. Yeah. And, and it was Poonstone? It was Poonstone. P-O-U-N-S-T-O-N-E.
0: Wow. That's yeah. almost, that's close wow. to like the, the porn version of Poundstone.
1: Yeah. It was poon It was. It was uh, <laughs> Paula poon Paula poon And I had a yeah. fabulous career. I was on the road all the time, as you can imagine. Right. Um, I was
0: recommending you go with Por- Paula Pornstone.
1: Oh, that's sort of more on the on the nose.
0: Yeah, and it's only a one letter substitution. If you're already missing the D. All
1: right. Speaking of which, did you hear Senator John Kennedy from Louisiana read the salacious parts of a book aloud on the Senate floor?
0: No. Was it salacious gay or something? So it like, was.
1: Uh, I believe it was salacious gay. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, you know, his point was, you know, how could there be such a book? in a? I think he was suggesting that it was in schools. I'm not sure that that would be true. Um, I, I don't know. But here's the thing. He was so good at reading it.
0: Really? Yeah. Was it hot? It, it
1: was. Yeah, he was. I'm thinking. Tony's going to like this. Oh, my God. Tony would <laughs> love it. Oh, my gosh. Tony will. Encourage him because he could do read alouds, you know, for. He, he could, could do be, Get a
0: Life Chloe Brown on tape. Oh, could he ever? Wow, and that would be a thing, right, Tony Anita Hull? No. It made me think about Tony Anita Hull when I was hearing it. Nobody wants to hear you say that, Paula. That's creating an unsafe yeah. work environment.
1: No, that's not what I meant. I meant, I thought... Yeah, but it's what Tony- you said. You said, I heard
0: Senator John Kennedy <laughs> <laughs> reading something super dirty and hot, and I thought of Tony Anita Hull. I, that's, that, I, ain't, that ain't I, right, I, Paula, I apologize
1: for creating an unsafe work environment. Uh, Hostile. Yeah, yeah. Tony, I hope you feel safe In this work environment, I mean, keep in mind, we're not in the same room. And so I think
0: (laughs) if you had to,
1: you could uh, get away. You know, we're not wasting anybody's time because fortunately we do not do a cold open on this show.
0: Which is a good thing.
1: Oh my gosh, is it good? Because otherwise, you know, it's a bad, a bad, a bad, a bad. We would be
0: hemorrhaging time now, yeah. Oh, Oh my God. People don't have time to listen to us. Just talking. That's, no, because you no. know what? People are not here to listen to us just talking. They're <laughs> no. here for information. Right. In fact, Paula, I see you just grabbed a soda. Let's both open them at the same time to save people time.
3: Oh, okay. That's uh, good on you. Ready? So okay, d- so okay, ready.
0: So okay, here we go. Three, two, one. There we go. See oh. everybody? We didn't That waste was time.
1: cool. Yeah. It was mm-hmm. it was almost coral. That was fun. It felt to and when I say coral, I mean C H O R A L. It felt to me like, you know, like when you sing together and your voices sort of interlock and there's that cool, uh, you know, release you get in your brain of happy chemical. That's how I felt yeah. opening sodas together. I
2: That's listened. how I felt too. That's how I felt listening to it. Oh,
0: wow. Well, oh, did we you, all, we you felt feel that? great? Wow. And, and, and do we feel great because of that or is it just because Bonnie's not here?
1: But you know what? <laughs> it could be. <laughs> you know, she would have made a. she would have made us start the show so long ago, uh, because she really oh, does yeah. you know, she was she brought Cracks the, the cold open up. She was the first person who ever talked about the cold open. And as soon as we started doing she was like, you know, let's not do this. So uh yeah. Rain, she, Rain she, in Spain. Yeah, she flip flops. That's what it is. Yes. All right, Rain in Spain, let's yeah. do her.
0: Rain in Spain, let's Spain. do it. Here we go. Coming to you live from our... What? (laughs) God damn it, Tony.
1: Wow. Yeah, it's not funny. Yeah, no. It really, you know what? She filled that empty seat at the table. Thank you, Tony. Doing my part.
0: Good. Yeah. Well, (laughs) just keep, keep, keep your bridge in, is what I say. Here we go. Okay. Coming to you live from our houses in Los Angeles, California. This is nobody listens to Paula Poundstone. Your comedy field guide to life. I dare Poundstone, you. I dare you. I dare you
1: to just interrupt. Me.
0: I'm not. You're already interrupting <laughs> while you're daring No, no,
1: her. I didn't. Yes, Tony, you did. No, Tony was gonna. I didn't.
0: Paula, you did.
1: I only, I, I Paula. only went into the Capitol because
0: Trump told me to. Okay, that's fair. But you can take that helmet off.
1: (laughs) How about this don't tread on
0: me flag? Should I bring that in? Might as well. What could possibly go wrong? Coming to you live from our houses in Los Angeles, California, this is Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone, your comedy field guide to life. Now with 100% less Bonnie Burns temporarily. Hey, tonight, it ain't necessarily so. The things that you're liable to read in the Bible, it ain't necessarily so. Or ain't it? And if it ain't, who put it there in the first place? Who gave us that world of talking snakes and epic plagues and a homemade cruise ship bigger than the ones Tony and Anita Hull enjoys and <laughs> containing only slightly less ravenous animals? We explore the Bible with religious studies professor Ian Mills! And then, when the cat's away, the mice will talk about the cat a lot. Yes! <laughs> Captain Crinkle is not here tonight, which makes it a perfect evening for our tribute to Bonnie Burns. Because this way, at least we know we'll get a word in. I'm Adam Felber, this podcast's Moses, parting the seas of confusion and digression to lead you, my flock, to the promised land of reasonable, rational discourse. And now, welcome a woman who has built a seaworthy house containing two of every creature. Assuming your definition of every creature is dogs, cats, and worms, it's Paula Poundstone! woo <laughs> woo <laughs>
1: Oh, you guys, it's so good to talk to you. You know, it's so hard when we don't do a cold open to go that long. Uh, And I want to, before I say another word, I want to welcome back our house band, nobody, Ellis Reyes. Ellis Ellis Reyes Montez on on the crumb horn. You know what? I didn't know I loved the crumb horn because I didn't think I'd ever heard a crumb horn. And then we had Ellis Reyes Montez on the show uh, as our house band and I discovered that I love the Crumhorn. Uh, Listeners can find his music on YouTube and find him on Instagram at montez. Ellis would like to remind everyone that next week, October 3rd, is International Crumhorn Day. Thank you, (gasps) Ellis. I'm so glad you reminded me, because, of course, I knew it. Uh, I just... right. It just slipped my oh, mind. Good. Yeah, like, it's also Mean Girls Day. Is it? Anyway. Mm-hmm. I didn't know
0: there was such a thing well, as Mean good. Girls Day. You know, coincidence. Uh, strange coincidence, Crumhorn yeah. Day y- y- and Mean y- Girls. Y- day. You know, be- before we get to the elephant that's not in the room, um, Paula Poundstone, how are you? What's new?
1: I'm good. I I was just up in San Francisco for an annual event called Comedy Day in Golden Gate Park, and there's okay, that's a, a little on the nose. Uh, there's a terrific musician there they have a band on stage that plays people on and off and comedy day in golden gate park has been going on for 42 years and as far as i know this band has been there for 42 years um and uh they do a terrific job and so i went to the guy who runs the band and i asked him if we could talk him into being a house band for us and i was standing in front of some other people when i asked him and so, uh, you know, uh, I was a little nervous and uh, I said, uh, you know, would you, you know, I have this podcast and we have a house band and it's one perform. Would you be willing to do that? And he said, absolutely. And then he said, how much, <laughs> <laughs> what's the pay? <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> I, I, was, I was like, the what? <laughs> the what? <laughs> the, the what's I'm... the pay? He said, I said, I'm sorry. I, I, you know, I gotta go, I gotta go to the airport. I, I can't really hear. And I just blurted out uh, zero. And he said... Uh, that's what I work for. <laughs> he's, he's going to come do it sometime. He's terrific. Uh, you can, know, can,
0: can I, I want to ask a couple of questions. Number one, San Francisco is very near and dear to your heart. I believe uh part of your, in, in some ways, your comedy career started there and in Boston. Um, yeah. I also want to point out that while you were talking, Paula, a, a man with a gigantic backpack oh my appeared gosh. behind Tony Anita hall and started hauling around cardboard boxes and Tony, wow. can you explain to us what the fuck is going on back there?
1: Yeah, Tony. It, and it, it looks I wasn't like... looking at the screen when I was talking, but now that I'm looking at the screen, I can see there is somebody who is obviously preparing to kidnap Tony and Nita. Which...
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's oh, he's taken off the backpack, and, and now he's got a helper. <laughs> Tony is so great. And they're just—they're just like moving stuff around. I'm going to take a picture of it so (laughs) that our listeners can see this kind of insanity. No, you know what?
1: They're—they're bringing in
0: ballots. It's more of that. (laughs) Yeah, are there ballots on those boxes, Tony? No, that's what it is. At the last minute, they're bringing in ballots. Where are you?
2: What is uh, happening? So I do not work on Nobody Listens to Paul Poundstone Houndstone full time. I do have another job. So those are my lovely colleagues. <laughs> and they're apologizing. This is their office. So I have come into it to record because we had a meeting today. So, so are- is
0: their office where they store stuff that fell off the back of a truck <laughs> that they're going to sell later? Because it just looks like nothing but cardboard boxes.
1: <laughs> they're T-shirts.
2: Oh, oh t-shirts. t-shirts. Oh, they're
1: T-shirts. Oh. <laughs> and so it's T-shirts and top security documents. Because um, yeah. that's not uncommon exactly. for someone to keep their shirts and their top ta- And their top classified documents. And their sneakers yeah. and their, yeah. And, yeah, all in the same box. That's the, uh, war so, plans. Yeah. Oh, my yeah. God. Is that Trump behind you? Wait, turn around. Turn <laughs> no, around. No,
0: We are limping around today, which is fine. Paula's back from San Francisco, though, and apparently over her not COVID, which is good. Tony's got a temporary bridge in, and she's in somebody else's office. I'm feeling fine, but you know, my wife Jeannie is finally getting around on her new hip in medical news she's walking around and uh seems to be better than ever and we have more late breaking medical news our beloved cast member producer and paula's manager bonnie burns is not here this week because um she uh, had a a bit of a medical emergency and had to have a procedure done she is fine everybody she will uh we believe be back next week she hates being not on the show but we're going to take advantage of that and talk about her a lot tonight
1: Yeah, she emailed me. I guess it was Saturday night, I think. She emailed and said she had an emergency. She was in the hospital. And then she said, you know, that she'll be fine, but had, you know, an emergency procedure that night and uh, is still in the hospital. I emailed her back, obviously, right away to say, gee, I'm so sorry, and are you okay, and that sort of thing. And I said, where are you? And she has yet to answer that question, other than that she's in a hospital. Oh. Uh, but at one point she's she I said, Where are you? And she wrote back, Get me the fuck out of here. And I I don't I think maybe she was on some, you know, painkillers or, or, or something. I talked to her on the phone. I don't know. Was it the next day maybe or the day after that? I can't remember. So we were talking and she was telling me a little bit more about what had happened and stuff. And she didn't know very much about being in a hospital. She's she's never been in a hospital before, like for her own. Oh, never? Never. Wow. And uh, so she said to me, she goes, you know, I can't get over that they come in in the middle of the night. And I said, yeah, they do that because that's their shift. They could give a shit that you're asleep. That's when they do the work. And if they have to wake you up to do it, it doesn't matter. And she goes, well, you know, you come to the hospital to sleep. <laughs> like, oh, who told you that? <laughs> did she you think you <laughs> that did... was a. I, I don't know. That was the funniest thing I'd ever heard. I go, you don't go to the hospital to sleep. You, you know, you go to a hotel maybe or, or maybe beside the pool at a chase lounge or or just on the couch or in your own helix mattress bed you don't go to the hospital (laughs) to sleep who told you that
0: so paula are you saying that when i get sleepy like i do i should no longer go to urgent care or the emergency room like i have been
1: yeah you're making a mistake there oh my god It's, yeah they they do wow. kick me out a lot yeah yeah no you go because there's something wrong with you medically that's why you go to the hospital not oh. for sleep oh yeah boy this I'm so glad I had a chance to talk to you guys about this because clearly the people on our show had no idea why you no might, idea yeah none zero zero idea and I couldn't tell if that was a function of her being uh, you know on pain meds or if that was really something that she believes. Uh,
0: but... Well, that's the beauty of Bonnie Burns, isn't it? <laughs> yeah.
1: The thing about Bonnie is, you know, she's never been like a drug or alcohol person ever. Right. So the fact that you're never quite sure why she's saying what she's saying, like most of us have had the excuse <laughs> that, well, we might be kind of fucked up. But, um, you know, with her, it, it she sounds all the time like she might be a little bit on, uh, I don't know, you know.
0: And now she is. Now, yeah, now she is. Well, I can tell you later where she is because I asked her via text and she told me. Oh, okay. The bad news is that it's not a hospital. It turns out it's an auto body shop, but apparently they're <laughs> oh, taking man. really good care of her.
1: Yeah. Well, once they get you up on that thing, on that lift, yeah. they can really check around more easily. Yeah. yeah, then yeah. It
0: doesn't matter whether you're, yeah. you're of a podcast or right. a 97 Mazda. When
1: you hear that sound, ring, ring, yeah. ring. No, it's good. That way there, when you use the restroom, you can see pictures of the scantily clad women. And people love that.
0: Oh, yeah. Hey, you know, uh, one thing Bonnie did tell me, because I, I think she's going crazy there, and she doesn't want to be there anymore. Yeah. So she is she is starting to send me text, pepper me with texts. One of them, though, was completely rational, which is that last week we did this segment about our fan club p- page on Facebook that we love so much. And she pointed out that we neglected to credit the creator of said page. So let's give a nobody listens to Paula Poundstone huzzah to Mr. Sheldon Helms, creator of... Thank you, Sheldon. And Bonnie Burns, thanks for reminding us.
1: You know what's going to turn... Like she thought of that while she was in the hospital on painkillers. It's going to turn out that it's kind of too bad that she's never been a drug and alcohol person because it's going to turn out that she functions at a much higher level With some sort of mind altering substance, yeah, which is very rare, by the way. I'm not suggesting that anybody, but that she would be like, like, like the one human being for whom that's true, because most of us, all the rest of us, the rest
0: of you think you are, but you're not. Right, exactly. You think like, oh, I'm
1: genius. Now I'm brilliant. But I think it may turn out because that was good to remember that we missed that. Uh, Thank you, Sheldon. Sheldon Helms, and you've met Sheldon Helms, haven't you, Paula? I have, and he was a, a lovely person, and he also brought me a bag of candy. So wow, uh, makes, makes me like like him even more. Um, of course, yeah. And I also met on the same night Tim Crump, who is often Tim our, Crump. Um, oh uh, yeah, he's a yeah. frequent uh, house
0: band. But never on the Crumb Horn or the crump Horn. No, Crumphorn Horn would be fantastic. The-
1: Ellis, Ellis, do just a little bit of Crumb Horn right now. Yeah, give us give us a little riff, a little
0: doodly-doodly-doodly-doodly-doodly-doodly-doodly-doodly-doodly-doodly-doodly-doodly-doodly-doodly-doodly-doodly-doodly-doodly <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, that's a, yeah, that's a good crumb right there. A yeah. <laughs> little tasty riff like that played on the crumb horn, that's referred to as a crumb cake in the crumb horn community.
1: Um, Tony, how come you're usually at home when we tape? And why are you in the office now?
0: Yeah, why is this night different from all other nights?
1: So I usually do work from home, but today
2: we had a day-long meeting that I was in the office for. So Uh-oh. and now I'm paranoid because I've been wearing my mask all day, and then they came in. and I thought, what if they have COVID? And I didn't oh. put
1: my mask on.
2: I don't. Hopefully they don't. Now now I'm having anxiety about that,
1: but it's okay. Um, oh, I, I wouldn't if I were you. I did see that one guy seemed to have hydrophobia. I might be a little concerned about that. He was kind of snarling, and there was like a white foam coming <laughs> foamy, out of his mouth. Foamy, foamy
0: stuff coming. Yeah, so, yeah. You, I didn't something. see a toothbrush, so it's yeah. quite possible I, he had rabies. I,
1: I don't know if you've seen Old Yeller, but you know.
0: Yes, yeah. Something to be a little concerned yeah. about, Tony. And you'll have to take him out behind a building, obviously. Oh
1: my god, yeah. that's awful. No, into the corn crib, Tony. I'm
2: confused. I've never... Wait, did you say Old Yeller? Yeah.
0: Old Yeller. You
2: never saw Old Yeller? No, it sounds sad. It's not... <laughs>
0: Apollo, spoiler alert, they shoot the dog at the end and everybody cries. I
1: know. (laughs) I, yeah. How can you say it's not? Oh, you have to watch it. I've seen it. I have it on videotape. Uh, 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 On videotape? Yeah. Like a VHS? Yeah. Oh, wow. I have hundreds. You could have those converted. That would cost a lot of money. And I don't know if I've ever whined about money on this show before, but.
0: (laughs) No, you haven't mentioned it. How's your financial situation? Not good. Yeah. Oh, Paula, you should share a little bit more. I mean, that's what makes a podcast a podcast. We share important details from our life, like Tony's adventures in the COVID crib today.
1: Yeah. Oh, Tony. my God. Do not say that. I can't. <laughs> Tony's I can't. Tony's there. Christ. Well, you can all, you know what, Tony? Don't worry about it. If it looks like it's going to take you out, um, you can always jump off your bridge. No, stop.
2: <laughs> it would be three times, and I don't want to have it three times. Oh, wow. I didn't
0: realize you've had it
2: twice. I already. had it, yeah. With her cruise
0: history, it's surprising that she just doesn't have it all the time.
2: I didn't even get it on the cruise.
0: You don't think you got it on the cruise. You No, I didn't. I
2: never got it around taking Mm -hmm. a
0: cruise. Mm -hmm. Well, the first time you got it was when you were patient zero. There weren't even COVID tests available then.
2: I didn't know. That is not true. You're spreading misinformation. (laughs)
0: Like you spread virus?
2: Oh, my gosh. I should have known you were going to say that.
0: I have to say that bridge in your mouth makes you sound almost like a completely different person. You sound like a very tense businesswoman in a way that you never did.
1: You're right. She does sound like a, a really tense bit like, um, if well, you just step this way. We have some, <laughs> uh, we can yeah. show you
0: some. Um, Okay, Mark Twain said the Christian Bible is a drugstore. Its contents remain the same, but the medical practice changes. Which sounds about right until you realize that the Bible is a lousy place to buy condoms. But we'll raid that drugstore <laughs> with a genuine expert when we come back.
1: On this day in unremarkable history, James Beard said... God, I'm sick of stirring. <laughs> Adam! Yes? One in five Americans have learned a new language on their bucket list, and the sixth one has started a podcast. If that's you, make 2024 the year you finally checked Learn a Language off your list with Babbel.
0: Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors. Don't do it. Or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. And, Paula, I got to say, I really appreciate the whole, like, getting phrases that are important to know in that language right away, like how to order food, how to ask for directions, how to speak to merchants. And yeah. I really yeah. dig more than that, the speech recognition technology, because even if some of our listeners think that I have a weird cadence when I am attempting to speak Spanish, <laughs> I am <laughs> I am speaking it well enough for the Babel app to understand what I'm saying, at least when I do it right, like this. Listen to this. Adios, Carlos. ¿Ya te vas? Si, sí, es tarde. Entonces, buenas noches. Hasta pronto.
1: I don't think you have a weird cadence. I think it sounds great. Thank you. Studies from Yale, Michigan State University, and others continue to prove Babbel is better. One study found that using Babbel for 15 hours is equivalent to a full semester at college. Yikes. And their football team is fantastic. Babbel has over 16 million subscriptions sold, plus all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. Is this some kind of special? Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription. Wow. But only for our listeners at babbel.com slash nobody.
0: If I'm not mistaken, Paula, that is 55% off at babbel.com slash nobody. The one spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com, and then you just add a slash and the word nobody, and it's 55% off? Yeah. Wow. Rules and restrictions may apply. And if you're going to do it anyway, use our code. Adios. Hey, everybody. As longtime listeners know, when Helix Mattresses first started sponsoring our show, Bonnie Burns somehow got the drop on me and made off with the first mattress. But in the intervening years, I have gotten myself a Helix mattress. I've had it for almost a year now and it has improved my sleep. It has improved my life. I could not be happier. The Helix lineup offers 20 unique mattresses, including the award-winning Lux collection, which I have the newly released Helix elite collection, which is a mattress designed just for big and tall sleepers. And they even have mattresses made just for kids. Now, if you're like me and you were a little nervous about trying it online or like Paula, who was screaming in fear of buying a mattress online, don't be. The Helix Sleep Quiz takes into account your individual sleep preference to match you and your partner with the perfect mattress. I took the quiz and I ended up with the great mattress for a side sleeper, the Helix Midnight Lux. Take my word for it, everybody. The Helix Midnight Lux.
1: Oh, don't want to take Adam's word for it. I don't blame you. Helix has been awarded the number one mattress picked by GQ and Wired magazine. It's even recommended by multiple leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine as a go-to solution for improving your sleep. Helix is offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners.
0: Go to helixsleep.com slash That's helixsleep.com slash Paula, and use the code HELIXPARTNER20. This is
1: their best offer yet, and it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts
0: now. Paula. Paula, I invited you over, but (laughs) fell asleep. Helixsleep.com slash Paula, and if you're going to do it anyway, use our code. Hey guys, it's Adam, and tonight is January third, and I am picking Janis Antetokounmpo to score less than thirty-six points, and James Harden to score more than sixteen. Why? Because I like beards. Am I putting a lot of money on this? I am not, because I'm not really a gambler, but I am having a lot of fun with Prize Picks. Prize Picks is the largest daily fantasy sports platform in North America. They're the easiest and most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. It's just you against the numbers. Instead of battling thousands of other players, including pros and sharks, who I would lose to, you pick more or less than two to six player stat projections and watch the winnings roll in, or in my case, not. So I don't bet a lot. With the basketball season here, you can now pick combo projections across football and basketball from the Specials League, a league created specifically for combo projections that include two or more players from different sports or leagues. For example, LeBron James and Travis Kelsey had a 10.5 combo of three points made plus receptions. Do I get that? Kind of a little bit. Prize Picks even offers a reboot policy so that your entries stay in play even if one of your players gets injured. For football and basketball, if you have a player who exits the game in the first half and doesn't return in the second, that player is rebooted. So... It's like an insurance policy. Go to prizepix.com slash nobody and use code nobody for a first deposit match of up to $100. That's prizepix.com slash nobody and use code nobody for a first deposit match of up to $100. And then drop by and see how I did with the Greek freak and Harden again on January 3rd. My hopes are not that high. Prize Picks daily fantasy sports made easy. And we're back. Thank you, house band Ellis Reyes Montez on the crumhorn. That is fantastic. Thank you, Ellis. Paula, you got that far away look in your eyes. You look like you're taking a little trip down memory lane.
1: You know, I am, Adam. You know, I grew up a Methodist. That's why I never went to see the movie Noah starring Russell Crowe, because I feel I had already seen it and felt.
3: Oh, yeah. I,
1: I read parts of the Bible when I was growing up, but most Bible stories I think I learned from burlap and felt hangings. And I never questioned any of it at the time. I never wondered about the origins of the Bible. Uh, Eventually, the whole God thing sort of stopped making sense to me, and I've been a devoted atheist who believes in people most of my life. Still, here I am, certainly closer to the end of my life than I am to the beginning, and and I only recently wondered about where the Bible came from. I I don't think I'd ever in my life had any real logical idea about that. As an author, I have to say the marketing on the Bible has been fantastic. I mean, my most recent book, The Totally Unscientific Study of the Search for Human Happiness, is very well reviewed, but hotels never provided it to every customer. Where did the Bible come from? I'd love to know. I'm sure there's experts, like historians and stuff, but I don't know where they are. I don't know how to find them. I don't imagine any Bible historians will be coming by this do drop-in of a podcast.
0: Oh, yeah, I'm sorry, Paula. Um... If I'd known, I would have scheduled somebody. Yeah. But this week, we have the inventor of Soggers, which is the non-crunchy chips for, uh, for people who want to eat chips in theaters. Oh, well, that'll be interesting. Um, sorry. But... Oh, wait, wait, wait. No, 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 no. I just, I, I... That's my mistake, Paula. That's my boner. Soggers is next week. This week, we just so happen to have the very expert you seek. No!
1: That's a coincidence reheated with the foil cover pulled back.
0: (laughs) Ain't it, though? He has a PhD in New Testament and a master's in religion from Duke University. He's currently the visiting assistant professor of classic and religious studies at Hamilton College, my old job, and he is the co-host of the podcast New Testament Review. Please welcome Ian Mills to the podcast. Woo!
4: Welcome, Ian. Very happy to be here.
1: Thank you so much for being here. I'm so looking forward to this conversation. There's so much, as it turns out, that I want to know. The truth is, I could probably just ask you two questions and there won't be time for anything else. Uh, Like, for example, who wrote the Bible? When was it written?
4: Yeah, absolutely. This is a great question. And I often tell my students they can tell the difference between, like, a huckster and someone who's reasonably well-informed by whether or not they use the phrase the Bible says. Because, of course, the Bible doesn't say anything. The Bible is an anthology, right? 24 books in most Jewish Bibles, 66 books in most Protestants, in the 70s for Roman Catholics and Eastern Orthodox, and you can get even higher numbers than that if you look at other canons.
1: Wait, back up, back up already. What do you mean books?
4: (laughs) The Bible is an anthology. It's a library. Uh, It's a collection of A ton of different works written across 2,000 years by dozens and dozens of different authors in different languages on different continents.
0: So which parts did God write?
4: (laughs) Well, religious traditions obviously credit God for some hand God played in the composition of Scripture. But they also recognize the very real human authorship of the many different books that go into making different Bibles. So how many did you say were in it? Books, it depends on your Bible. Um, Different traditions have different collections of scriptures. The Roman Catholics and the Protestants are pretty close, but the Jewish Bible, of course, is much shorter, um, consisting of just the Hebrew scriptures.
0: Because we want to get to the lunch as soon as possible.
1: (laughs) Well, are the Jews and the Christians in sync On the Old Testament, is that the same for
4: both? It depends on your group of Christians. The Jewish scriptures, the Jewish Bible, is more or less the same thing as the Protestant Old Testament. But the Roman Catholic Old Testament is larger, and there are other important differences. Um... Likewise, uh, with the Orthodox, um, they're using different text traditions that have different versions of the same stories, sometimes substantially longer or shorter than each other. In addition, we could talk about book order and things like that. But no, these are these are substantially and meaningfully different Bibles, even though, of course, they tell much of the, many of the same stories.
1: I had no idea. Um, all right, so it's written over the course of 2,000 years.
4: Well, 9th um, century B.C. up until the 2nd century C.E. roughly. So. A little over a thousand. Oh, okay. Probably All right. several
0: editors, too, then, because nobody lives that
4: long. <laughs> Certainly. The, the compilation of the Bible is another very interesting story that takes time and happens in different ways in different places.
1: All right, so who was the first writer of the first book of the Bible? And was that Genesis?
4: That's an extremely complicated question. Uh, Probably the oldest parts of the Bible are certain Psalms and certain traditions found in Genesis. So we can find certain stories that seem to have really archaic linguistic features or reflect uh, perspectives that look very, very old. But the book as a whole isn't compiled until some time later. Most Bible scholars think of the Pentateuch as the compilation of four different works, the, the documentary hypothesis, um, that are sort of interwoven into an often redundant mishmash of the books that we have today. So Genesis is indeed very old, and it contains some of the oldest traditions, uh, but it's really hard to say that Genesis was the first book written. We're not totally sure what was.
0: Well, if it wasn't first, it was a prequel then.
4: certainly and there's a there's a reasonable case to be made that maybe some of the prophetic books at least the cores of them uh, like books like the first isaiah the first part of the book of isaiah might have been identifiable as a book before anything that looks like our genesis was
1: so genesis may have been the better call saul of the bible oh yeah yeah okay um so was it actually written down
4: I mean, eventually, yes, of course. Uh, It's written down in a ton of manuscripts, some of which survive. uh, But some of these begin as oral traditions being passed along. And it's probably due to this oral origin, this origin as oral traditions, that we get these sort of redundant, overlapping, diverging versions of the same stories.
1: So I wonder if people listened better back then. (laughs) Because, like, with my kids, I had to say stuff, like, three and four times to get them to do anything. So the idea that I would have passed on to them some sort of story...
0: Now, the Book of Paula is a mess, the one that your kids are getting together young. (laughs)
1: Yeah, exactly. So I wonder if maybe in the absence of other forms of entertainment... Um, people's listening skills were somehow better back then, Um, because these are not small
4: books. Right, but we shouldn't imagine someone sitting down and reciting all of Genesis. That's probably not how this worked. Um, To your point, there probably was a tradition and a culture of oral storytelling, and older, older scholarship really played that up. But here we are, you know, listening and recording podcasts. It's not like we don't have oral storytelling, oral media... Um, Still very much part of our culture. Um, It's not hard to imagine people finding it interesting to listen to people tell stories.
1: (laughs) What about the section with all the begatting? There was a lot of begatting, and I don't see that as, you know, a cliffhanger. I wouldn't tune in. Better Call Saul is serialized, and, you know, you can hardly stop watching it once you start. Uh, and the same thing for Breaking Bad, but you know, you get that begatting story going on, and I would kind of be like, yeah, you know what? I might get up and do the dishes now.
0: I I gotta agree with Paula. What is going on with those last three books of the Pentateuch? If you ask me, after you get past Exodus, it's it's a slog. Why did
4: we keep those? <laughs> you're you're asking about Deuteronomy, Leviticus, and Exodus. I think we no. all are.
0: De- 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 Deuteronomy, <laughs> Leviticus, and I think n- numbers,
4: the numbers, not right, Exodus
0: right. is yeah. Exodus is great. Of course, on, I, Exodus is a hold story. Hold on, I
1: have to call my dog. Deuteronomy come here That's such a great name uh, was that a person by the way was Deuteronomy a person
4: no Deuteronomy is a, a sort of second phase a sort of rewriting of the Jewish law rewriting a lot of the material found in earlier law codes um, yeah re-centralizing the cult around the temple things like that um, so Deuteronomy is just a sort of retelling, probably. In the narrative world itself, it presents itself as the revelation of Moses. But uh, scholars today really think of Deuteronomy as a sort of reworking of these earlier law codes.
1: So it tells people rules of behavior.
4: Well, it has more to do with how to sacrifice. There's certainly rules of behavior uh, in the Jewish law codes, but also uh, food laws, rules about how to participate in festivals, those sorts of things.
1: Give me an example.
4: Deuterotomize her.
1: <laughs> you know, of one of the laws, like the food law, for example. That's kosher stuff,
4: Paula. No, absolutely. Um, whether or not to eat animals with a cleft hoof. Uh, what what kinds of seafood you are allowed to eat. I'm happy to discuss this. I, I'm not really an expert on the ins and outs of Jewish law.
1: Is Deuteronomy the same in the Christian Bible as it is in the Jewish Bible or is that one of the things that's very different?
4: It's largely the same. Most Protestant Bibles today will, will be translating the Hebrew text, the Masoretic text of Deuteronomy. And this is also what you're gonna find in a Jewish Bible. You move over to Eastern Orthodox uh, Christians and they'll be using a Greek text, which in the case of Deuteronomy is very close, very similar to the same thing.
1: Why is there a Greek text and a, what was the first one?
4: Hebrew. So uh, most of the Hebrew Bible, the Jewish scriptures are composed in Hebrew. There are certain portions of them that are composed in Aramaic. Uh, but for the most part, they're being composed in biblical Hebrew or ancient Hebrew. But these are these are translated then into Greek uh, in Ptolemaic Egypt in the third century, and it's in the Greek form actually that the New Testament and the early Christians received these texts. And this involved not only a different collections of books, but also often different forms of the same stories. You know, translation is always an act of interpretation. So we have the sort of interpretive work that's going on, but also, in some cases, um, substantially different text traditions.
1: So the Hebrew texts, uh, who had them first? And did they walk them over to Greece (laughs)
4: the Hebrew Bible are scriptures that are developed by the people of Israel. Uh, They're written sometime between the 9th century and then up to maybe the 2nd century uh, BCE with the book of Daniel. But these seem to have been translated um, probably in Alexandria, in Egypt. Uh, There was a massive collection uh, project that went on there, the Library of Alexandria, I heard there was
0: a fire there, though.
4: (laughs) A couple, actually. And it seems like these texts were translated into Greek there at the Library of Alexandria. And Jews continued to use them in Greek as well as uh, in Hebrew, although eventually they would settle on just using the Hebrew, whereas Christians would use them in Greek for many centuries.
1: All right, so there's a Greek guy and... He he looks up and he sees some Hebrew people coming towards him, and they've got these texts. And hey, tell me if any <laughs> of this is inaccurate. And uh, does he speak uh, Hebrew? Uh, how is one able to translate to the other? There, I think there's some flaws in this story here. <laughs>
4: So this is all happening in the aftermath of Alexander the Great, where Alexander, this Macedonian prince, goes and conquers huge swaths of the east.
0: Well, you've you got to give him a break for that, because, like, you know, if you're Alexander the Great, you're going to want to conquer a city called Alexandria.
4: <laughs> yeah. I think the causal relationship there might be flipped. <laughs> but uh, he dies and leaves behind these generals. He's Who, who will inherit your kingdom, Alexander? The strongest, right? Uh, and... In his wake, then, you have the ruling class in all these different places speaking Greek throughout, you know, what we think of as the Seleucid Empire uh, and the Ptolemaic Empire down in Egypt. Did you say
1: what we think of as the Seleucid Empire? (laughs) I have something terrible to confess.
0: Uh, I I haven't You don't think of it at all I haven't
1: thought of the Seleucid Seleucid Empire Uh, Boy, boy are there big gaps in my body of knowledge Okay, keep going, sorry to interrupt
4: You have Jews speaking Greek as their working language And you have a large Jewish population that has been in Egypt there's a legend about how this happened, uh, of King Ptolemy sending to, it's called the, the letter to Aristeus, uh, bring the wisest men from Israel over to Alexandria to have them translate these scriptures. But probably that's a legend. Uh, probably what happened is these texts were translated as part of the same reason, you know, we have English translations of the Bible, um, to put the, the scriptures of Israel into a language that people could use, uh, a working language.
1: What do you think the purpose of all this was? Was it to influence just people's behavior? Why? I I mean, if there's a story told to one, and it gets handed down, like, what's the purpose of
4: it? I think that depends largely on which parts of the Bible we're talking about. I think Proverbs is doing something fundamentally different from Psalms, which is doing something fundamentally different from Genesis. Uh, Genesis seems to be this sort of theological reflection, this sort of retelling of our semi-mythic past Uh, Whereas psalms, you know, you have psalms of lament and psalms of celebration, psalms that seem to be involved in the practices that surround the temple and practices that surround certain festivals. And then Proverbs is this wild, often contradictory, fascinating collection of folk wisdom. So these books are being written for a variety of purposes. And we could even go more eccentric. You know, the uh, the Song of Solomon seems to be a more or less secular work of romantic literature.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's a weird
1: one. (laughs) It was all just a run-up to Godspell. It was, all, it was all just a prequel to the great musical Godspell. What, what's the name of that religious college? Is it Oral Roberts, right? Doesn't he have a college?
4: Yep, down in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh,
1: yeah, I was on like a little bus one morning at the airport where they take you in a bus out to the puddle jumper plane, and uh, there were people that were taking their daughter to Oral Roberts University, and I remember thinking, boy, that's got to be a party school. And I was thinking that they probably had some drinking game that involved the Psalms. Um, but I, I just made that up. I don't know that to be true. Um, all right. So <laughs> there's a tremendous
0: amount. Of, I guess I was right that I could just. And we haven't even touched the New Testament yet. Uh, yeah, because it's not part of the Pentateuch. Yeah. You know what? In <laughs> in the same manner as, as the Bible was divided, let's divide our discussion up between Uh, the Old Testament, and then we're going to move on to the New after this. And, you know, it's the great George Bernard Shaw that said, no man ever believes that the Bible means what it says. He is always convinced that it says what he means, which is why I like the book of Numbers, chapter 15, verse 4, and I quote, And the Lord spoke unto the host, saying, Paula, it is I, the Lord, your God. Enough already with the phone calls. Adam has been through enough. We'll see if we can interpret that particular biblical message when we come back. The cat of the week is Beaker from Durham, North Carolina. Congratulations, Beaker. Fun fact, on Venus, the snow is actually metal, but the rain, that's smooth jazz. (laughs) That's a decent joke. I don't care what any of you say.
1: I'm totally in support of that joke.
0: And we are back with Ian Mills, talking Bible and moving on to the New Testament. Here are the smooth sounds of the New Testament with Paula Poundstone, Paula.
1: All right, so Ian... I, I'm not going to pretend that I understand the entire creation of the Old Testament. The fact that you studied for years and that you teach courses on it, and there's more courses after that and more courses after well, all we can do is scratch the surface here. So we're moving to the New Testament, and I have a question. Did Jesus have anything to do with the writing of the Bible?
4: No, unfortunately, we have no canonical works that even claim to be written by Jesus. Wow. There are, in fact, non-canonical works that claim to be written by Jesus, and they're very interesting, but no historian takes them seriously. What we have instead are four Gospels, which bear in their titles the name of followers of Jesus, or their followers, uh, a bunch of letters, mostly by a guy named Paul, um, and then some miscellaneous works: uh, an apocalypse and a book of acts.
1: Isn't Paul the one who experienced the bright light and went blind for a little bit?
4: Indeed, on the road to Damascus. Uh, yes. So the story goes in Acts.
1: Yeah, yeah, boy. Right. You, and you can't take the you can't take the uh, Sunday school out of the uh, out of the older woman.
4: <laughs>
0: you got these the the four the four people writing the books. Did they really write it? Was it Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? Did they write those books? And Jesus got executive producer credit uh, is kind of what happened.
4: Great question. So yes, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John of the four Gospels. Um, mm-hmm. And interestingly, all four Gospels are formally anonymous, with a with a caveat on the Gospel of John. But Matthew, Mark, and Luke never claim in their text to be written by those people. And the yeah. title they bear, the Gospel according to Matthew, that were the Greek word there is kata, is actually never ever used uh, to denote an author in any Greek literature ever. So these works aren't claiming to be written by these apostles. John has to be a caveat, because in the very final chapter of John, there's a we that speaks in the first person plural, that we testify to these things. And it speaks of this beloved disciple figure throughout the gospel of John, which is probably the son of uh, John, one of the followers of Jesus, the son of Zebedee. It's claiming to be passing along the tradition of this guy, of this John. But the only place where it Where the author actually speaks, they speak in the first person plural. They speak as we, distinguishing themselves from the beloved disciple. So it seems pretty clear to me that none of these texts are actually claiming to be written by the people to whom Christian tradition attributes them. Wow. Wow.
0: So who wrote them?
1: Yeah, this is way off the rails from my Sunday school, um, because, (laughs) yeah, I mean, I think we were taught that they did write them.
4: And that has been Christian tradition since uh, sometime in the second century.
1: That and juice. Juice was big in the Christian tradition. after But not Sunday in the school, second
0: century. That was in the third or fourth century. No, no, I think it was
1: always. After Sunday school, we would gather in what they called the parish hall. And I had really thick tights uh, that by that time the crotch was down at my knees and boys would chase me around and and i would chase the boys around and and we would have i don't know if the juice was the catalyst for that but we had a very powerful oh, yeah
0: juice oh wow this is wow oh some christian blaming the juice again
1: <laughs> <laughs> no no juice. Yeah. Adam, juice. When, when have i
0: heard that before it
1: was this thick syrup called zarex that mm-hmm. got mixed with water <laughs> and then ginger ale my gosh it was good all right Ian sorry to okay sorry to
0: derail things with goofiness we were we were saying that, that Matthew Mark Luke and John did not write these things even though your fellow juice drinkers were taught that
4: they did. Yeah. And unfortunately, I can't tell you the names of the people who did, right? It'd be lovely if I could tell you and it was in fact Steve uh, but this is not how uh, scholarship works. We don't have their identities. We can tell you some things about them and we can tell you some things about the sources they had and that kind of thing which honestly is more interesting than learning the first name of the person who happened to write the Gospel of John anyways. Mm -hmm. So scholars are virtually all convinced that the first gospel written was the gospel according to Mark. It's the shortest gospel, um, and there's lots of good reasons when you compare it to the others to think that this gospel had to have been written first. Scholars usually place this shortly after the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem around 70 CE. And there's a variety of reasons to do that, but the best is that the headline prediction of Jesus throughout the gospels is that the temple is going to be destroyed. (laughs) and whether or not you think Jesus could predict that and in fact there were multiple people predicting that before it happened uh, as recorded by contemporary historians but whether or not you think Jesus could predict that
1: Wait, so Jesus predicted that the temple was going to be destroyed?
4: I I think quite likely and he's one of several people Josephus tells us who were predicting this before the destruction of the temple
1: My mother could predict shit like that she would say (laughs) if you kids keep wrestling like that someone's going to get hurt and so she could see into the future that way
4: it was a precarious political situation. There, was, there were all sorts of prophets going around at the time, apocalyptic prophets uh foretelling doom and critics of the temple we have the dead sea scrolls preserve all these works by other people who are criticizing the way the temple is run and predicting judgment so this is this is not an outlandish thing to believe
1: so they okay. think it's uh, they think the temple's going to be destroyed by god
4: right or one of god's agents or something like that it's not always terribly clear how agency is supposed to work here
0: but it, it's why the people running the temple could not get insurance <laughs>
1: uh, It also really speaks to, you know, like how Trump followers will say, um, God sent him. And the truth is, uh, if you follow the God idea, then technically God sent everyone. And so why don't they say God sent Obama? It's interpretation. So it may be that God sent an agent who got 10% of destroying the temple, or it may be that God himself (laughs) destroyed the temple. We don't really know. Is that right?
4: No, I mean, we know who destroyed the temple. It was the Romans. Uh, it It was Vespasian and Titus.
0: Damn the Romans. Spoilers. Say spoilers before you say that, Ian. Paula hasn't read that book.
4: No, we absolutely know who destroyed the temple, and we know why it happened and how it went down. There's great sources for this. Uh, You can go to Rome today and see the Arch of Titus, which... Uh, is recording the spoils that they brought back from looting Jerusalem. Oh, it's wow. possible even the Colosseum in Rome was built partially funded by the spoils of destroying the temple. Like, no, we know exactly how this happened.
0: Okay. <laughs> that's what you say. I'm I'm a bit of a temple truther. I think it was the French, but go on.
4: The wider point was, we know how to date Mark because of this, because Mark makes D- Jesus predicting the destruction of the temple the the thing that Jesus predicts uh, over and over, and it's repeatedly associated with Jesus. And you don't do that if you're writing Say in 60 CE, Jesus has been dead for 30 years, and look, the temple's still there. I have a really stupid question. What's CE? Oh, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a scholarly convention, an alternative for AD. Uh, AD means Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. And if you're working, as I do, in a religious studies department or religious studies context, dealing with people who don't confess Jesus as Lord, um, dealing with multiple faith traditions, it's a sort of more hospitable, a more welcoming dating convention that doesn't require everyone make a sort of Christian creedal confession about oh,
0: dating. Oh, I see. So CE stands for common era, right? Correct.
1: You know, all these years I thought AD was after death.
4: Common misconception.
0: Year of oh, our Lord. for heaven's <laughs> sakes. So uh, 70 CEAD, the book of Mark gets written. Um, however, it gets slid into second position in the New Testament. Is that because we just don't care about the temple... Uh, prophecy as much as we did back then it's like now we're like you know what Matthew's a better lead in
4: <laughs> well, Matthew probably gets first placement because Matthew actually is a follower of Jesus as opposed to Mark who is supposed to be the sort of third-hand follower um, in the tradition that comes down Mark is a follower of Peter who is the follower of Jesus um, and Matthew probably gets pride of place because of that the tradition that develops uh, is that Matthew wrote first later on um, historians are confident this is wrong
1: you know I was raised in Massachusetts And, um, you know, lots of churches, of course, you know, a lot of Catholics, um, but just lots of churches in general. You know, you can't uh, swing a dead cat without hitting a church in a small town in Massachusetts. So, of course, there's a lot of kids named Mark when I was growing up. But what's sad about it? I believe their name was Mack. Exactly. They can't pronounce it. <laughs> so, sorry. Oftentimes you would hear a, a, a young child being called into dinner. Mac. It's time for supper! <laughs> and I always felt there should be a law that if you can't pronounce the name, you can't name your kid that. I don't know. Maybe that's too... <laughs> maybe that steps on the First Amendment somehow. All right. Sorry, Ian. Keep going.
4: No. Uh, the, Matthew is probably the second gospel written. That's all I was going to say. Matthew and Luke are written thereafter. Um, they're much harder to date. Uh we can talk about the specific interests of each of these authors, but just getting a general contour of who wrote the Bible, they're working with the copy of Mark in front of them. Uh, there's 441 verses, but 90, about 90% of them get copied over, more or less word for word, into the Gospel of Matthew. And a similar percentage happens in Luke's use of Mark.
1: You're telling me that there's been many, many versions.
4: What's interesting is that these Gospels are being composed as a rewriting of earlier texts also found in, in the New Testament, right? So Matthew and Luke are rewritten versions of Mark and being rewritten for particular agendas, for particular purposes, advancing different narratives, correcting, adjusting, uh, massaging what was found in earlier forms that get canonized right alongside uh, each other, which is a phenomenon you also see uh, in the Hebrew Bible, um, as we alluded to earlier.
1: Well, it's a lot like the Little Mermaid. What? It's a lot like the Little Mermaid
0: yeah I, I thought you might elaborate on that statement.
1: It's you know uh there was the original story what was it a Grimm's fa- it was like a fairy tale from a long- uh, Hans,
0: Hans Christian Andersen, I believe
1: okay, so it was from a long, long time ago and then they made the animated version and then mm-hmm. they made the you know and then they made the mermaid um a young black girl instead of a young white girl, and people flipped out because they kept saying mermaids aren't black. <laughs> Uh, missing the fact that mermaids aren't real and could really be any color they wanted in the telling of the story,
0: right. so it's a lot. Sure, it's sure. very
1: much like the Little Mermaid, or possibly like The Odd Couple, where okay, uh,
0: I think I see where you're going yeah, with this. Where yeah, where Neil
1: Simon writes The Odd Couple as a play, and then it gets made as a movie, and then it get made as a television show, and then it get made as a, a black uh, Odd Couple television show, and then it got made. Uh, as a play with two women, yeah, it's a lot, a lot of similarities. Ian, do you want to write some of this down for your course?
0: Yeah, I notice <laughs> you're not taking any notes, Ian. <laughs> <laughs> All right.
1: So, um. Wait so, a minute. I have another question. When you talked about dating, Mark, and I knew you didn't mean like swipe right. I knew you meant. You said
0: they were hard to date.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I knew you meant figuring out. You know what was the origin of the thing when it came to be. What techniques do they use for dating these materials?
4: Like I said, it's mostly internal. It's sort of looking at the sort of literary character, and we can do a relative date much easier. It's much easier to figure out that Mark had to be written before Matthew. Then nailing one of those down is the tricky part. And so we use the destruction of the temple pretty much to nail down Mark as writing shortly after 70. Some of the stuff that shows up in Mark 13 seems to be pretty close to those events in time. Um, And then after that, you're sort of working relative. Uh, There's not a lot of fixed points um, there may be something in the Gospel of John fixing us in the 90s, uh, or at least happening after the 90s, uh, a reference to Christians being kicked out of the synagogues. Um, but this is all controversial. Um, I got to
0: tell you, using the phrase nailing down is a little sensitive when talking about apostles and Jesus. <laughs> so maybe you want to think about that in your. Yeah, f- I can't believe
1: he hasn't stumbled upon that mistake earlier. So, for example, yeah. if somebody's reading along and they find uh, somewhere in the text uh, the mention of texting, then they would say, "Okay, well, that had to be right."
0: That's more recent.
1: Yeah, that had to be in like the 2020. <laughs> uh, you know, w- when did texting start, Adam? I, uh,
0: that would be the the 90s. Yeah, the, yeah I think probably the yeah, late 90s. So that yeah.
1: would. So so all right. So they used as a reference point um, mm-hmm. the 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 destruction of the temple. Were there other things that they uh, that helped them date these? Yeah,
4: I mean, for instance, the Alpha Synagogueus passage. There's this passage in the Gospel the what? of John. I'm about to explain. There's a passage in the Gospel of John that references um, Jesus predicts that there will come a time when the Christians are expelled from the synagogue. And certain scholars have argued that this is a reference to uh, what's called the Birkat Hamanim, the, the prayer for the heretics, uh, which gets introduced at some point into synagogue practices, uh, which seems to have been used as a way of sort of rooting out the Nazarenes. It includes as a curse on the Christians um, or something to that effect. So scholars have tried to use this to say John is reflecting knowledge of this event that seems to have happened, you know, right at the very end of the first century. So we Mm -hmm. have to date John probably sometime in the early second or the very end of the first century. Mm -hmm. But we use these sort of internal things because we don't have sort of external reference points. Um, The earliest copies of any of these things we have comes from the mid second century at the earliest Oh, maybe wow. third century.
1: You can maybe keep your eye out for a reference to Leave it to Beaver, which that would have to be after the... I don't know how helpful that is, Paula, but it's, yeah, I mean, that would definitely put it in the 50s, just so right? I'm just, you know what? I'm just off the top of my head thinking of, you know, just trying to help the process. Can I move us to some of the wackier things? Wait, I have a question before that. Okay. Did they always use that really thin paper? <laughs>
4: I would love to talk about writing materials in antiquity, if that's something you actually want to ask. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I don't think it is. Okay, go ahead.
0: <laughs> I want to move us to the, to the wacky ones, because we all love those early gospels. I mean, I'm a big fan of Matthew. I think that's like, that's the one. I mean, if you are if you haven't read your way through the entire New Testament, I got to tell all you out there, spoiler alert, it doesn't get better than Matthew. That's a, it's, a, it's a strong start. But then let's get to the third act, as us Hollywood people would say.
1: Is one of the books Sue Grafton? Because I liked her stuff. <laughs>
0: Yeah, her stuff is good, it, yes. and it, she might as well be in there. How did that later stuff get incorporated, especially Revelations? It's just—it's
4: Revelation Singular for the record. Uh, it's uh, the, the, the it? title. The- the Greek title is the Apocalypse of John. It's the, the thing revealed to John, um, John the Seer. Sometimes he's, he's called John of Patmos. Uh, almost certainly not the same figure as the Gospel of John figure. And the Apocalypse of John is a fascinating one because it was one of the most controversial. Uh, it remains controversial into the fourth century in Europe uh, and isn't included in, like, for instance, the Syriac New Testament until the sixth century and still doesn't hold the same status so it's an extremely controversial book it's full of wild visions um yep. things that appear to be certain kinds of prophecies a description ultimately of the end of the world but as most scholars now recognize largely a critique of roman imperial power exploitation of things like that it's an ancient mode of of doing, you know, contemporary political critique often.
1: What book is the Tower of Babel in? Was that a thing?
4: (laughs) That'd be Genesis.
1: Oh, oh, okay.
0: Yeah, Genesis has all these extra stories that aren't there with the creation myth, right? Genesis, the the back half of Genesis is full of shit like uh, the the Tower of
4: Babel. Genesis 6 is Tower of Babel, so it's definitely front half. Oh, Uh, it's early, wow, okay.
1: Were the stories at the time and declared to be factual when they were written or when they were passed along, or were they always uh, understood to be apocryphal somehow?
4: That's an interesting question, and it, it sort of requires some interrogation. Um, so if we're thinking, of, for instance, about the book of Proverbs or the letters of Paul, that's just a category error, right? Uh, in the case of the letters of Paul, we're just reading somebody else's mail. Some of those are even extremely banal, right? Paul's letter to Philemon is just a, seems like a piece of correspondence.
1: What does he say? Like, how are you? I'm fine. Wish you were here, uh, that sort of thing?
4: In fact, yes. He sends greetings. He sometimes asks for the return of personal affects. In the book of Philemon, he's asking that the addressee return to him an enslaved person who he's sent carrying the letter. That's the whole point of the letter, is I'm sending you an enslaved person carrying this letter who I met while I was here. Could you please return him to me? Wow. Why would we keep that in the Bible? Probably because it was collected along with Paul's other epistles, Paul's other letters that are doing these... You know, more profound theological, engaging in these sort of profound theological controversies with other Christians.
0: Well, we found we found some unpublished novels of my mom after she passed, and and we found a lot of other shit too. But we didn't publish the other shit.
4: <laughs> well, it's it is it is one of these classic mysteries of why uh, Philemon ultimately uh, makes it in.
1: And um, a little while ago, I could swear—like, I mean, maybe several years ago—I could swear I heard a piece in the news that they had found a piece of papyrus somewhere in the Middle East that they believed contained writing by Jesus. Is it, do do you know what I'm talking about?
4: The big news story I'm thinking of is the so-called Gospel of Jesus's Wife, but I don't. Yes, it mentioned found...
1: Jesus's wife. Yes.
4: Yeah, yeah. So this doesn't purport to be written by Jesus. This purported to be an ancient gospel fragment, and we do find these. In fact, just a couple of weeks ago, there was announced a brand new. gospel. Fragment with a brand new version of the Sermon on the Mount um, that has just literally been published. Um, wow! F- so we find this sort of thing. This particular one happened to be a forger, and you can read an absolutely breathtaking piece uncovering who the forger was. And how he went about doing this, a piece by Ariel Sabar that's um, in the Atlantic that's now been turned into a, a full length book, I think, called Veritas.
1: So you're talking about the thing that I'm referring, which is where he references his wife. You're saying that was a forgery.
4: Yes, that particular fragment happened to be a forgery.
1: Okay, well, how would they know it was a forgery? Does anybody know what Jesus's handwriting looked like?
4: Well, it doesn't claim, none of these things claim to be written by Jesus. And not being written by Jesus doesn't make it a forgery. Being composed in Florida in the 2010s by a disgruntled graduate student is what makes it a forgery. Got, it. Um, now That you. makes sense, okay. yeah. Okay.
1: Um, because I had always heard that it said, uh, my wife, that that was what was astounding about it, was it said, yes. my wife. And then on closer examination, they found it was surrounded by the words, take and please... And that's what gave them some right. indication that Jesus had worked the Catskills, which is a part of the story.
0: That's from that's from the book of Young Men.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's a part of the story that I had loved. All right, am I correct? And I, I, I've, as if sure you've heard, Ian, I am really almost entirely a blank slate on this topic. Um, uh, wow, but, and not uh, just this one. Uh, uh, no, no, this is the tip of the iceberg for my blank slatedness. Um, <laughs> am I correct that Steve Gutenberg printed the first copy of the Bible? Is that?
4: Uh, I think you mean Johann
1: Gutenberg. No, I meant Steve. He was in Diner. God, I love that movie.
4: <laughs> Johannes Gutenberg in the fifteenth century does, in fact, you know, he invents the movable type printing press and is the first person to give us a sort of printed Bible, the, the Latin Vulgate, in his case.
1: Wasn't it like a huge thing to print?
4: Yeah, absolutely. Which is why the printing press was made it so convenient. You know, up until then we have manuscripts, Latin, you know, written by hand. And Johannes Gutenberg is the first person to be able to mass produce the Bible um, and also indulgences, which is how he really made money, uh, mass producing these get out of sin free cards. But yes, Johannes Gutenberg gives us the printed Bible.
1: Are they still finding these manuscripts?
4: Absolutely. Uh, this is a regular occurrence for us to discover a new tiny fragment many of these things are coming from oxyrhynchus from where oxyrhynchus it's one giant garbage dump that was excavated in the 19th century in egypt um and all these crates of papyri mostly were brought over to oxford and people are just make whole careers out of just cataloging these things translating these and publishing these things wow. so this brand new gospel fragment that was just announced was one of these fragments that was unearthed you know in the middle of the 19th century, and has been just sitting in Oxford. Is it any good? It's fascinating. Uh, it, it harmonizes Matthew, Luke, and the Gospel of Thomas into one sort of interesting Sermon on the Mount combination. Mashup.
1: up So yeah. there, are, there are people whose job it is to flip through these crates, and most of it is
4: not of value? Well, it's all of value because it all tells us something interesting. Uh, much of it is... <laughs> <laughs>
0: I like how frustrating you're getting with this.
4: Much of it is what we call documentary papyri, which is things like receipts, uh, right? It's things like contracts. Um, we've, we found a commentary on Homer that had been used as toilet paper. Wow. Uh, this kind of thing. Ooh. That's gross. Agreed. I wouldn't have saved that.
0: You know
1: what? We went through, of course, that period during the stay-at-home order when it was hard to get toilet paper, and yet it never, not once, occurred to me to use a commentary on Homer. <laughs>
0: that's because you think about future generations in a way that th- this guy was not, yeah. apparently.
1: So are they are they ever going through the crate and they're finding like, oh, look, this might have been written by Jesus. And oh, look, another another manuscript. And then they find a thing about like Tony Curtis and Janet Leigh, like maybe an old, <laughs> uh, old star magazine of some sort. Anything like that ever?
4: The ancient equivalent, perhaps. We have ancient plays, playwrights and things like that that get uncovered. So maybe that's the closest analogy.
1: Human behavior has never changed. So I wonder if they found like salacious shit written back then, was there?
4: The answer is yes, absolutely. Uh, And we have lots and lots of letters people publish uh, that contain all sorts of salacious material. Wow. It's it's fascinating.
1: You know what? If only Senator John Kennedy from Louisiana could read it on the senate floor i would love that
4: that would be hot that'd that
1: is hot. yeah that is his strength this has been so fascinating ian you know yes. what i feel like we could have you back over and over again to just talk about all the parts that we didn't get to uh, because it's such a huge subject
0: yeah ian if it's not too infuriating for you if you could be our ongoing biblical scholar that
4: was just wonderful <laughs> happy happy to drop in with insights yeah, I love that
1: <laughs> idea. And if any time, uh, you know, I know a woman named um, Penelope Vanderbottom, who has any number of times found old paintings here in my house that I didn't even know I had. And so if she ever finds a manuscript that I didn't realize who was here from the Bible, I, I, that would be a good time to bring you in.
0: Yeah so, yeah, so he could analyze it. He is the co-host of the podcast New Testament Review. Over at Hamilton College right now, Ian Mills, everybody, our Bible expert, our new resident Bible expert. Thank you so much, Ian. Uh, this was fantastic, Ian. Thank you so much. Oh,
4: it was a real pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: Coming up, she's not here to defend herself. Uh, I mean, um, enjoy this. So it's time to honor our captain, Captain Crinkle, it's our tribute to Bonnie Burns. When we come back. And now a news update from the dental chair.
1: how Hook or an ink? In Rotary.
0: <laughs> this has been a news update from the dental chair. Thank you, Ellis Reyes Montez. And remember, you can find Ellis's music on TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube. Speaking of finding people, where do we find <laughs> Paula Poundstone nowadays? If I wanted to see Paula Poundstone live somewhere, Paula.
1: Oh, Adam, now that Bonnie's gone, I can keep an additional 15% of my pay when I perform live in El Cajon, <laughs> California at the Magnolia on Friday, September 29th. See? I, it, you know, the glass is half full, or, or at least 15% full. For tickets, uh, listeners should go to PaulaPoundstone.com and click on the Tour tab. And, and, and by the way, I'll also be keeping 15% of my pay from my show in Baltimore, Maryland, at the Crash Hour Auditorium on Friday, October 6th. In fact, I may even go in a night early for the Crash Hour Auditorium Pronunciation Seminar that attracts people from all over the world. For tickets for my show on Friday, October 6th, go to PaulaPoundstone.com and click on the tour tab. You know, winter will be with us before you know it. And I've been thinking about buying a comforter because mine has a big giant hole in the middle. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> which doesn't make it all that effective. I could use that 15% of my pay that I'll get to keep since Bonnie's tragic incident when I perform in Charlottesville, Virginia at the Paramount on Saturday, October 7th. Go to polypoundstone.com and click on the Tour tab. Get your tickets, get your
0: laughs. Okay, tickets and laughs, yes, but Paula, you've been saying keeping that 15%, and I, and I want to underscore, Bonnie Burns had an emergency but then had a procedure and is very quickly on the mend right now in a, in a hospital in the Simi Valley.
1: Well, well, she said she'll be back next week when she first yeah. emailed me about her medical emergency, and she was considerate enough to say that she was fine. It was, it was only when I talked to her later, Adam, that I got some okay. of the more worrisome details, and mm. I... I, I Honestly, I'm not even sure now that I know entirely what happened. My suspicion is that it may have involved slipping on the keys that she keeps on the floor near the entryway of her house for well, safekeeping. So right pretty
0: safe bet. Yeah. yeah,
1: that's that's never made sense to me. She she's told us a long time ago that the way she doesn't lose her keys is that when she gets in the house she just throws them down on the floor. Well that's just Yeah you know, that's asking for
0: trouble. An accident waiting to happen. Honestly,
1: the the incident may or may not have involved choking on hard candies that she stores under the cushions of her couch. Or the pull-out couch could have severed her arm when she tried to retrieve her candy stash. Do you see what I'm saying? We can't really... (laughs) Can't really we be can't know. We can't be sure she's gonna make it at him. Oh, Paula! Oh,
0: and Paula! I, come here! Come here!
1: Yeah. I, I'd love to take this portion of the show
0: to tell people about
1: the Bonnie Burns that our listeners may not know. Um.
0: Yeah, that's right. It's time for. Let me just tee it up. It's time for our tribute to Bonnie Burns. Bonnie, where's your theme song? Oh, that's right. Oh. She's not here to do her theme song. Can, let me just, if Bonnie were here. She might sing something like this. When you see a segment about Bonnie Burns, you can bet it's the tribute to Bonnie Burns! Burnsy, 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 Burnsy! Whack
1: a whack a whack a Pull that leg. Wow, I was really worried that without Bonnie here, that we wouldn't have anybody to fill her shoes in terms of theme song. But that was great, yeah.
0: Adam. You know, it came from the heart. It came from the heart. You know,
1: by the way, you know, for a long time, I was trying to get Brian Cranston to come on the show. And uh, so uh, I reached out again because Bonnie wasn't going to be here. And... He refused. He, he didn't feel he could fill her shoes. And it was to, same thing for Maggie Smith. I tried to get Dame Maggie Smith again, who I've been after for years, trying to get her to right. come on the podcast. And uh, when they understood that they would be substituting for Bonnie Burns, they just uh, wouldn't, you know, just t- totally. It's, in, it's
0: intimidating. Yeah. It chickened out. Um, uh, so let's just have a tribute to her because there's so much about Bonnie Burns that people don't know. And I know, Paula, you know her better than anybody.
1: Uh, well, you know, she's been my manager for, I mean, for years I kept saying the same number. I kept saying 26 years, but come to think yeah. of it, I think she's been my manager for 29 years. And she's the best manager anybody could ever want to have. And I've said that many times. It absolutely is is true. Um, by the way, if listeners want to, you know, go on our Facebook page, uh, you, you know, and post a nice comment, I'm sure that would help with the healing... A get well message, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, although... That is, if she's able to heal, um, I just want to... Or uh, even
0: read at this point. Yeah, yeah, I don't know if she'll be able to read. And, you know, um, be aware, even if she does pull through, and she sees your messages, she's just going to skim them. Yeah, she doesn't... Bonnie doesn't... <laughs> He's
1: not going to read them closely. Yeah, yeah buddy. <laughs> Bonnie doesn't really read anything. She'll read them from the middle. So try, yeah. try to make the most powerful part of what you say be from the middle. That's important. Right. Um, you know, I just got to say that I think even you and Tony don't know. You know, Bonnie has had a, she's had a life of so many contributions uh, that people don't even know about and that she doesn't, you know, she just, she's not a person to sing her own Praises,
0: uh... uh, uh, Except she literally does sometimes.
1: Well she, did, well, she sings a theme song, but if she were here, she'd be doing the theme song for singing her praises. But remember when the whole world was on the edge of their seats over the rescue of the Thai soccer boys that were stuck in, yeah. the, in the cave? Mm-hmm. But a lot of people yeah. don't realize that Bonnie was a critical part of that rescue. She was able to get in and bring them hard candies.
0: Yes. In fact, it was the boys clacking as they ate those hard candies. You know, a noise that we find very annoying on the podcast, but it was how the geologists up above with their with their sonar were able to find the boys.
1: Yes, exactly. They said, so what's that noise? And it was the boys uh, chewing on the hard candy, making, m- making noise. Considered
0: one of the most annoying rescues of all time.
1: And I'm only talking about the more recent stuff right now, but, you know, she's just had a life of contribution. And, uh, you know, I just oh. want to say that a what lot of people... That? Uh, it was a, you know, a little t- tribute to Bonnie. A little bell? That's made me emotional. <laughs> <laughs> of course it would. Of course it would. This is really...
0: We're really going to do a tribute to Bonnie. Let me help. Um...
1: Was that? Is that like a crinkling sound?
0: Yeah, it's <laughs> plastic. I want to
1: thank you. I want to thank you for that. Um, you know, it may be that she's home from the hospital in a day or two. But you know, there's also the possibility that she'll she'll never be back, and so I just want to say, um, I just want to say that uh, during COVID, when that during that scary time when we really didn't know, you know, what it was or how it, you know, we, there's a lot of ignorance on the topic. Bonnie Burns designed the scarves that Doctor Burks wore. Oh, really. And I think the impact that that had on the whole situation just can't be underestimated. That was, uh, is it? you know, she was up nights drawing paisley designs and different autumnal colors. And it really made a big difference. I, I, who knows how many lives that saved? Oh, it's so yeah. beautiful. Oh, um, uh, be here here's an unknown story. People don't realize that years ago, Uh, Bonnie was in uh, the special forces with the military. It was a very secret detail in Iraq and uh, Afghanistan. And at one point they were hiding behind, you know, there's not a lot of brush in that area, but they were hiding behind a little bit of brush and uh, the Taliban very close, very close by. And Bonnie uh, took out some Tic Tacs and, Mm -hmm. uh, Mm
3: -hmm.
1: you know, the sound of the Tic Tacs, uh, next thing they knew, there were just rifles pointed at their heads, and Bonnie said, "Oh, Ugh. you could you could hear that." And uh, <laughs> so it was a, you know, uh, just um, I could,
0: can, I can almost imagine hearing her say that yeah, right now. Yeah,
1: mm-hmm. and uh, but in the end, she manipulated <laughs> manipulated their way out of it, uh, so they were not, yeah. you know, they they were captured, but it was only temporary. Um, because- yeah, because she,
0: she she said to the Taliban, and it was translated perfectly uh, by her Taliban translator, um, are you sure you want to capture us?
1: Yeah, yeah, and just by putting that— <laughs> Which she
0: thought was very subtle, but she, she just yeah. asked it that way. And- yeah,
1: put that seed of doubt. How many times has she said to me, you know, you're sure you want to say that? You're sure you want to work there? You're sure, yeah. And it, what it usually means yeah. is that she thinks you shouldn't. But instead of just
0: saying that, right, which is which is what the Taliban said or they they, they were like, wait, are you saying we shouldn't capture you? Just just say it. And she said, no, 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 no. I'm just asking. Should we? Yeah. Are you sure you want to? Yeah. Well, are you asking me or telling me?
1: (laughs) Just put that seed of doubt uh, into the Mm -hmm. Taliban that, you know, who knows when that might really flourish, that might kick in on a bigger level and really change things uh, there in in the middle east and we will who who do we have to thank for that but uh Bonnie, Bonnie Burns. Burns uh yeah. I don't know if either of you have any stories about well the influence that Bonnie's had on your life I mean I Adam is it correct that she taught you improv at one time
0: she she did I I mean I take a lot of credit as an improv teacher on this show <laughs> and in fact you give me more credit on this show as an improv teacher than I ever actually served as an improv teacher, but it was Bonnie who taught me how to improvise, and she taught me in that in that you know really beautiful way of hers. Um, you know, in improv, a lot of the a lot of the dogma is you always say yes and to things. And when I first started improvising, I wasn't that good at it. And I'll never forget my first show. Bonnie was my coach and I was supposed to do a like a jump emotion scene, you know, starting one emotion. The audience calls out another one. And I started the scene. I think I pretended to be the guy uh, running a bagel shop. And then out of the front row, bless her, I heard this voice go, are you kidding me?
1: Oh, she learned that from her daughter's uh, his sports psychologist. Yeah, yeah. So and that was helpful.
0: Well, it taught me to make a different choice and a better choice. Yeah, yeah. And and every time I'd say something, she'd say, "Are you kidding me?" Or "I don't think so." Or yeah. or she just like open candies a lot. You know, she had a, an almost mystical way of working, and it and it made me a better improviser and eventually a better improv teacher.
1: Yeah, yeah. I remember that one scene you did where you started out happy and then she said something and you jumped emotion you said god damn it bonnie
0: yes exactly then, she helped me make that transition that yeah, transition yeah. from happy to angry that she still does for me every week <laughs> yeah she has a way Tony. Tony. but 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 be not enough about me i mean tony anita Hall.
2: yeah no absolutely i mean
0: I mean, there was a time about a year ago um, or a year and a half ago when your apartment in Sherman Oaks was just in fantastic shape and, and dry as a bone. And then there was that night that Bonnie came over and helped you move by, um, by flooding the place, right?
2: Absolutely. Because she's an out of a box thinker.
0: Uh-huh. That's you know? like what she, it is. She's she,
2: a- I mean, she, she invented the cold open. Uh-huh. She discovered Seattle. Oh, yeah. yes. I almost <laughs> forgot, right, about forgot, about you, forgot about that. Thank you, Tony. She invested early in the slap bracelet. So before she crinkled, she slapped.
1: Oh, um, my gosh. I yeah. hadn't even realized <laughs> that.
2: That's why. Yeah, she told me that.
0: Yeah, she invested in the <laughs> slap bracelet. But back to the flood. It was a hot day, right? And, and Bonnie's idea was that you could cook your pasta on your floor because the apartment was hot enough, right? If there was enough you water. Know, that
2: was one of her life hacks, if there's a hot floor, you know, leverage get that. Get water on it and cook. Yeah. yeah. Get you know, boil yeah.
1: some water. And you know, speaking of pasta, where, where, where are we gonna get our tomatoes from now?
0: I mean, not from Bonnie. You know, well, you know,
1: her gardening with what was it? Gar- gar- garden time with Captain. Garden Garn- time, Garn- time with, with
3: Captain Crinkle. Oh.
0: oh, Jesus. Well, how many people have, have thriving gardens because they learned from her mistakes?
1: Yeah. she. You know the good news is? Remember she bought all that soil? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she bought all that soil. It. She also,
2: she well, also so. taught me how to put my shoes on while
1: I was driving. Oh, yeah. yeah right, you know, which, right. by the way, may have... But be- I'm not sure that she's really told me the truth about what happened to her. It may be the putting her shoes on while she was driving thing that, uh, you know, could have been
0: involved. That could have been her undoing. Yeah. But uh, back to the soil for a moment. I uh, her daughter, Ivy, if you're listening and if things don't go the way that we are hoping they go, if things go the way that Paula suspects they're going to go, I think what Paula's trying to say is there's an automatic built in use for all that soil. Yeah. Yeah. This is you know what? Uh,
1: things work out that's the kind of thing bonnie would say things work no, out things happen yeah, for yeah. a reason yeah
0: exactly bonnie, so bonnie bought two approximately bonnie burn sized bags of soil for what turned bonnie out to be bonnie burn
1: sized bags <laughs> 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 what's that you know so ca- you know we're coming up on ring halloween ring soon and i just want to say uh you know kids kids avoid that mound in the avoid front yard the of that house with the lights out uh, oh. so. But she would have wanted.
0: Yes, uh, yeah. she would have wanted that mound to be mm-hmm. a deterrent to kids on Halloween.
1: Yeah, she never wanted kids coming by her house at Halloween. She just gave and and, and then she took. Um, but yeah. uh,
0: took a, took a lot.
1: Yeah. yeah. Um, I'll tell you what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna I'm gonna leave 15 percent of my candy uh, <laughs> on her front porch. <laughs> Halloween. Uh, anyways, listeners, do if you uh, y- y- if you have a, a chance, uh, you know, give, y- leave a nice post. Uh, for... Yeah, drop
0: by our Facebook page and, and leave your favorite memories of Captain Crinkle. Oh, that's again, a good idea. Again, I mean, she's gonna be fine. She's gonna be fine. But you know, yeah, yeah, it's, it's a weird world out there. Um, you so. know,
1: I'll just leave you with this because I, you know, hopefully she'll be here next week. But if she isn't. Yeah. I'll tell you the story about Pearl Harbor next week, Adam. Yeah.
0: Adam, answer the phone. Uh, Paula. This is hardly a time for that. We're in the middle of a fond reminiscence of our of our friend who, for all we know, is is having a really hard time right now. So I, I think maybe maybe we should skip the, the, this. Telephone. Adam, Adam, answer the phone. I'd rather not.
1: Okay. Hello. Hello, Adam Felbert! It is, ah, uh, French Trump. Am I the hundredth caller?
0: No, this is an unexpected pleasure, French Trump, but, uh, no, you're the 21st caller.
1: What do you mean? I am the 21st caller?
0: Yeah, I'm sure of it. I got it written down right here. You're the 21st caller.
1: Come on, Adam Felbert, I just need to find 79 more calls.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, you're not going to pull that shit here. You can hang up and call back 79 more times if you want to do that.
1: I don't need to call back 79 more times. I already won by a landslide, a landslide, I tell you.
0: You you didn't win.
1: This is election interference. It is the weaponization of the 100th Claire Contest.
0: This is corrupt. No, it isn't corrupt. You just happened to be the 21st caller. That's it. I do not trust you.
1: I trust my own own stonks. I won. Stonks? Own stonks. I won. I know I won. If Joe Biden wins, he will destroy everything. Every country will be whacked out it will be the worst time and the television ratings will be awful he will take us into world war ii
0: (laughs) we have in fact already had world war ii it was in all the papers
1: jump will ruin your podcast there will be no more club no more (laughs) biggie bicky big club there will be no more called Tony will not go on cruises, there will be no more Simpsons, and you will not be on every
0: show. How did Joe Biden get into this conversation in the first place? Listen, as long as I have you here, why did the Saudis pay Jared two billion dollars? Jared Kushner, your son-in-law.
1: Yes, Melania, my angry wife. Yes, of course. Of course, I will be right there. I have to go, Adam Felbert. I will call again.
0: All right, or don't. Wow, Paula, a a rare French Trump sighting here on the show. Well, you know, he's doing everything he
1: can (laughs) to keep himself, you know. Relevant. Occupied. Plus, Adam, honestly, who wouldn't want to do a biographical tour of the places that made you the man you are today?
0: Well, lots of people, uh, me included, probably wouldn't necessarily want that. But, um, and again, Paula, we haven't resolved who's going to lead that tour. For a while, I thought it would be Bonnie Burns.
2: Aww. I'm getting really sad. (laughs)
1: well i I have an idea thoroughly you're
0: buying into the bit tony
1: tony's really sad so why don't we just reread the last two chapters of get a life chloe brown and that'll yes that'll be that emotion
0: change that you talk about and with that it's me adam felber who is on every show talking about somebody who isn't bonnie burns we hope you get well very soon and we hope you never hear this segment um, hey, remember to follow this podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get them. It's free. If there's a subject or topic you want to know about, where it. Nobody listens to Paula Poundstone at gmail.com or... You can drop by our snazzy new website, poundstonecom Not only leave a comment or a question, but also get yourself some really nice Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone swag. And that is our show. Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone is hosted by Paula Poundstone and yours truly, Adam the Felber. Special thanks to our guest, Ian Mills. Yay! us up. Thank you, Ian. And thanks to our house band, Adam. Ellis Alice. Reyes-Montes. <laughs> Thank you, Ellis. Our show is produced by Paula Poundstone, Adam Felber, <laughs> Bonnie Burns, Ken Lezevnik, <laughs> and Julie Berkobian, edited by Vic Lowry. That's our show for tonight.
1: <laughs> Will somebody please listen to me? Oh, that, that! I was so in my emotions, I f- I forgot. You, to, you
0: were forclumped to do yeah. that.
1: I was, I was verklempt Um, I think she'll be back. I think Bonnie'll be back.
0: Oh yeah! No, 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 no! She's a, she's a fighter. That's the thing.
1: She
2: is gonna come back.
0: Yeah. You're not here.
2: <laughs> oh my god!
0: Make like Bonnie and be not here, okay?
2: No, I refuse. <laughs> Well, who's going to go through all her bags of papers and mail that she labeled with? Oh, my gosh. (laughs) With the date. Yeah, that's a good
1: point. Well, she had those Mm -hmm. really expensive organizers that she was working with, so I'm sure that they'd be happy to go through her stuff if they haven't
0: already. Um. (laughs) Well, I don't think they would have already, because, again, at last report, she was recovering nicely. Yeah, but...
1: You don't, they might have been able to get in there and out again pretty quickly. Don't you remember she used to have that, what's it called? The like wash basin thing that's not connected to plumbing. I forget there's a word for it.
0: A wash basin?
1: I think that's it. Yeah. Don't you remember she used to have that wash basin thing? I I mean, I never saw it. She just told us about it a long, long time ago. It was one of the, you know, when she was trying to organize by herself. Um, And it was an antique. I think, and she had, you know, she had it for decorative purposes. But my guess is, um, you know, the minute she started having any kind of, you know, health problems, that those organizers were in there and out and had in, the In and yeah. out in yeah. no time. Yeah. They,
0: pro- they probably took a lot of the vegetables and plants, too. Yeah,
1: my guess, yeah. And if she had, you know, any remnants of the Pentateuch,
0: um yeah sure, surely they got that yeah. yeah they're on their way to, to oxford right now to collect, claim credit for bonnie's discovery yeah because bonnie yeah. would you know find pieces of the Pentateuch in her couch cushions when oh, she was she stowing to. away toffee and stuff yeah yeah yeah.
3: yeah.
1: yeah. or her ear oh I, yeah i forgot about that <laughs> yes you know that's possible that maybe that's what went wrong um i because I, I don't think she told me the straight story about what happened so it could be that's a really good point tony is that uh, she had really old pieces yeah. of the Pentateuch uh, stuck in her ear because mm-hmm. she had a tendency yeah. uh, mm-hmm. to put stuff in her ears that she, didn't
0: belong there. She might be the first person to to pass away from silicone tip poisoning.
1: Yeah. Oh, boy.
2: I guess her and Zero Mustel can shower together <laughs> in heaven.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that
0: is such a beautiful image. <laughs> so beautiful that I really want to stop picturing it right now. Oh, my gosh.
1: I hope I don't have what Bonnie has. (laughs) (laughs) Remember that time that she was in bed with somebody, but she realized that she had to have gas? And so she went down the stairs and out into the backyard. I remember that. Yeah. Apparently, that's what happened is that she had gone outside to have gas and she was, she, she was eaten by a wild animal up there in the Simi Valley.
0: Mauled <laughs> by a bear.
1: You know, so it was a natural death. It was,
0: she was beautiful right up in It's how she would have <laughs> wanted to go.
1: I think, yeah. Yeah, we used to talk about that kind of thing all the time. I would say, I hope to die in my sleep. And she would say, I hope that I'm having gas outside the house and a bear eats me. That... <laughs> We had that conversation over and over again she was you know different
0: everybody as longtime listeners know when helix mattresses first started sponsoring our show bonnie burns somehow got the drop on me and made off with the first mattress but in the intervening years i have gotten myself a helix mattress i've had it for almost a year now, and it has improved my sleep. It has improved my life. I could not be happier. The Helix lineup offers 20 unique mattresses, including the award-winning Lux Collection, which I have, the newly released Helix Elite Collection, which is a mattress designed just for big and tall sleepers, and they even have mattresses made just for kids. Now, if you're like me and you were a little nervous about trying it online, or like Paula, who was screaming in fear of buying a mattress online, don't be. The Helix Sleep Quiz takes into account your individual sleep preference to match you and your partner with the perfect mattress. I took the quiz and I ended up with the great mattress for a side sleeper, the Helix Midnight Lux. Take my word for it, everybody. The Helix Midnight Lux.
1: Oh, don't want to take Adam's word for it. I don't blame you. Helix has been awarded the number one mattress picked by GQ and Wired Magazine. It's even recommended by multiple leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine as a go-to solution for improving your sleep. Helix is offering 20% off all mattress orders
0: and two free pillows for our listeners. Go to com slash paula. That's helixsleep.com slash paula and use the code helixpartner20. This is their best offer
1: yet, and it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now.
0: (laughs) Paula. Paula, I invited you over, but (laughs) fell asleep. Helixsleep.com slash paula. And if you're going to do it anyway,
3: use our code.